Hi and welcome to this video. This is officially the very first episode of Fearless Mula. The aim of this particular podcast is to make sure that we understand how money works in the country, around the globe, in Africa, and what a way to start than with the World Bank. Now, as I am doing this particular episode, I'm actually going to be looking at the records of the World Bank themselves. This is public information. And then as we go through it, of course, I'll give my own personal views as well. So take them with a grain of salt, as you should, with every single opinion. But the main reason why I am starting with going on to the World Bank site is to give you a perspective of money from the viewpoint of the World Bank. As a person, this is going to be a very interesting journey just researching exactly what the World Bank says it's doing and what is actually happening in this particular countries. In this very first one, I just want to go through the history of the World Bank and then if we have time we'll actually go per country to look at how much money does each country owe to the World Bank and then of course we'll look at very many more things so make sure that you subscribe to the channel if you're watching this on video if you're listening to the audio podcast then make sure to give a review to this particular podcast. This is a very first time that I'm actually doing this and hopefully we make this a long form series. So the very first thing that we are going to do right now is I am on the World Bank site and I'm going to go through a few of the things that they talk about here and then we'll go into details. So the very first thing that you need to know about the World Bank is that and they talk about the Bretton Woods Conference, which is a place where the World Bank was officially born. This is just after World War II. So it says, in July 1944, one year before the end of World War II, delegates from 44 countries met for the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference held at the Mount Washington Hotel in Bretton Woods, New Hampshire. This is in the United States. And the conference aimed to create the framework for post-war international economic cooperation and reconstruction. The intellectual leaders at the conference were John Maynard Keynes, advisor to the Treasury in the United Kingdom, and there is a whole there's a whole sector of economics that is authored and led by Keynes himself and Harry Dexter White, who's the Assistant Secretary of the Treasury in the United States. Well, the conference resulted in the formation of two institutions. The first is the International Monetary Fund, the IMF, and the International Bank for Reconstruction and Development, which is a World Bank. But here it's the IBRD. The creation of the World Bank was not the primary focus. 
The majority of the time was spent on the IMF Commission under Harry Dexter's White's leadership. The work of the World Bank Commission on the other end, on the other hand, occurred only in the last few days of the conference and its articles of agreements primarily drafted by Keynes included rebuilding the economies of countries devastated by war and increasing the economic development of developing countries. This is especially important to understand. The World Bank was created to do two main things. The first is to rebuild the economies of countries devastated by the war. This is Europe, especially, and Eastern Europe in this case. These are countries that the World War II actually really affected. And then the second reason why it was formed was to increase the economic development of developing countries. Now, there are different ways to look at it on if it is true that World Bank has actually done this and we'll go through different sources as we go into different episodes. But in this one, let's just, just let's just go through the World Bank history in the eyes of the World Bank. So that was in July of 1944. Now, between 1946 and 1967, it says here that the World Bank was now to be viewed as a builder and engineer. And the bank's first loan was to France and loans to other European countries followed. But when the 1947 Marshall Plan took over post-war construction efforts in Europe, the bank quickly shifted to funding infrastructure projects around the world, such as power, irrigation, and transportation. The first loan to a non-European nation was to Chile in 1948 for 13.5 million USD for hydroelectric power generation. Remember, this uh, loans, they are not grants. The bank also initiated a technical assistance program, and in 1955, it established the Economic Development Institute to provide training to officials from member countries. During the early years, the bank evolved to meet the needs of its members. In 1956, the International Finance Corporation was established to focus exclusively on the private sector. And in 1960, the International Development Association was created to provide resources for less credit-worthy members. The IFC's first loan was to Brazil in the amount of 2 million USD for the manufacture of electrical equipment. The bank also mediated three international disputes that had an economic element, the nationalization of Iran's oil industry, the development of the Indus River water system, and the financing for the Aswan Dam, Aswan High Dam, on the Nile. This is in its first 20 years. So from 1968 to 1981, this is titled The World Bank Confronts Poverty. By the 1970s, over 40% of people in developing countries lived in absolute poverty. And in response, the World Bank's projects aimed to help the poor directly. The World Bank president, Robert McNamara, coined the term absolute 
poverty in his 1973 annual meeting speech and that was the first time to communicate the World Bank's twin goals. One, to accelerate economic growth and two, to reduce poverty. This is in the World Development Report of 1978. Now, this concept transformed the bank into the institution focused on development that we know today. Lending to member countries increased 12-fold between 1968 and 1981 and expanded into new sectors, environment, rural development, water, sanitation, education, and others. The global effort to eradicate river blindness is one example of how the bank worked to improve the lives of the poor, which was different from the large infrastructure projects that were done in the bank's first 20 years. The first loan for the environment was in 1971 for pollution control in Brazil, and the bank subsequently built environmental safeguards into its process. During the 1970s, economists were the primary advisors in the bank, but staff with different skills in anthropology, sociology, environmental science, and other sectors were hired to provide even more expertise to clients. Now, between 1982 and 1994, this is economies in transition and structural adjustment. The 1980s and 90s brought additional challenges related to oil shocks, debt crises, and environmentalism. And the bank reacted by bringing in new skills and safeguards into its work, as well as structural adjustment. So structural adjustment loans came with policy conditions, such as fiscal discipline, tax reform, and liberalization of foreign direct investment. But while they were intended to improve the policy and institutional environment in which the loans were made, their overall effectiveness was debated internally and in the client community. Now, this is what that means. So a structural adjustment loan, which we'll look at in more details a little later, because this is just an overview, structural adjustment loans are loans that are given by the World Bank and then the World Bank now tells you what it requires you to do in order to get these particular loans. And with time, we'll talk about in details about the effect of these loans, especially on the African continent. In the 1990s, the bank assisted former Soviet nations to redirect their economies after the dissolution of the USSR, which is a union of Soviet socialist republics. And many of these newly sovereign nations became World Bank members. In 1991, the Global Environment Facility, which is a GEF, was established to further focus on safeguarding the environment and in 1996, the heavily indebted poor countries' debt initiative was approved to enable poor countries to focus on sustainable development and reducing poverty. The World Bank added another institution to the group when the Multilateral Investment Guarantee 
agency, MEGA, was formed in 1988 to provide political risk insurance and credit enhancement to investors and lenders. And from 1995 till now, the World Bank has been focused on sustainable development and global partnerships. During the late 1990s, the World Bank moved into the areas of conflict prevention, post-conflict reconstruction, and assistance for countries to redirect their economies after major political change. This period also brought concern about the impact of government corruption on the effectiveness of lending operations, which led the World Bank to adopt an anti-corruption strategy under President James Wolfhenson. Wolfenson gave a groundbreaking speech on the cancer of corruption at the 1996 annual meetings. And under his leadership, the focus on country accountability and ownership of development works became central with the comprehensive development framework. The mid-2000s ushered in the idea of the World Bank as a knowledge institution. And by 2010, the open agenda guided the bank to a more transparent approach to development. In collaboration with the United Nations Millennium Development Goals in 2000 and subsequently the Sustainable Development Goals in 2015, the World Bank moved into a new century emphasizing community-driven development, and aid coordination, working to safeguard vulnerable groups and mitigating the impact of climate change. This gives you a summary of what the World Bank is, and that's taking us about 10 minutes. Let's go into a few of the details of this organization. So the first thing that we'll start with are the exhibits. These are things that the World Bank has done and looking at a few reports here and there. So the exhibits, which is the World Bank Group Archives, periodically publishes online exhibits highlighting the holdings of the archives or aspects of the bank's history. Here are some of the recent or popular exhibits. Older exhibits have been uh, transferred to the World Bank online publication database. So here we have the World Bank Group's role in the India Consortium, the World Bank Group's 75th Anniversary Exhibit Series, Remembering President James Wolfenson, uh, Digitized Records of the World Bank's First Loan, and that's what we'll look at first, and then the World Bank's role as a mediator in the 1950s, Black History Month exhibit series, celebrating the IFC's 60th anniversary, which was in, uh, in 2016, the World, uh, the World Bank Group and Women in Development, and different other exhibits that are available. So the first thing that we'll look at is digitizing of the records of the World Bank's first loan. As mentioned earlier, France was the very first country to receive a loan from the World Bank. Now, in 2017, this was 70 years after the first reconstruction loan to France was given in 1947. And to mark the occasion, the World Bank Group publicly released records relating 
to the loan and made digitized versions of the records through the World Bank's projects and operations database. The digitized records, which consist of correspondence and memoranda relating to the negotiation, administration, and repayment of the 1947 loan and the evidence of the work involved in the execution of this particular event, because this was a big event in the World Bank history. So the initial challenges are that the World Bank officially opened for business on June 25th, 1946. As with any organization, there were initial difficulties. The World Bank's first president, Eugene Meyer, resigned abruptly six months into the job, December 1946, without a clear successor. The bank's vice president, Harold Smith, died suddenly a month later, January 23rd, 1946. 47. Although a few applications had been received, the bank had not made any loans. However, the election of John J. McCloy in February 23, 1947, as the World Bank's second president, marked the start of true operations in the World Bank. The bank soon embarked on the preparation and execution of an important series of reconstruction loans to Western Europe, the first of which was to France. Remember, this is just after the Second World War and Europe was the most affected by the Second World War, of course, because it was the world versus Germany and all these other countries were caught in the middle. Of course, many of them on the side of the US, but at the end of the Second World War, basically Europe was in shambles. So the French loan application was for $500 million. And this arrived as a simple letter attached to an outline of the government's reconstruction program, which was known as a Monet plan. The overall requirements included $106 million for equipment, $180 million for coal and petroleum products, and $214 million for raw materials. The equipment included ships, freight cars, trucks, radio and electrical equipment, and coal mining equipment. The list of raw materials included fertilizers, copper, tin, synthetic fibers, animal fats, and chemicals. The timing of the French loan was ideal for the bank to establish its credibility as a lender. It was just before the bank's first bond issue. So France was expected to make good use of the dollars and was an acceptable credit risk because it's France. It was also understood within the bank that this loan would not set a precedent. The bank, the loan was not for the purpose of specific projects of reconstruction or development as specified in the bank's articles of agreement, but was covered under the special circumstances provision. For many years to come, program loans such as this French reconstruction loans would remain a minority as the bank concentrated on project lending. In his oral history, Richard H. DeMuth, at that time who was an assistant to the World Bank's vice president, recalled the challenge of appraising what would become the bank's first loan. And he said, nobody knew where to begin. We were inexperienced. We didn't know what kind of questions to ask, what kind of investigation to make. We hadn't developed the kind of project approach that we worked out later 
Our European problems were very different from our development problems at that time, of course. And the whole idea of uh, the whole idea, in fact, of making national credit worthiness studies had not yet been developed. Just like any new organization and institution in a new field, at that time, we were trying to struggle just along finding our way. The bank vice president, Robert L. Garner, in his autobiography recalled that the loan negotiations had their difficulties as well. It was difficult for the French chief negotiator, Wilfred Baumgartner, to accept our policy to require specific certification as to the precise use to which every dollar of our loan would be applied and the provision of the negative pledge clause. There was no precedent for such requirements and he considered they were a derogation of the dignity of his people. Listen to this. In the very first loan, France was being told that they need to show how exactly they were going to use every single dollar of the $500 million that they were getting from the World Bank. But the chief negotiator for the French had a problem accepting this particular policy and he said that this particular policy would be considered a derogation of the dignity of his country. Spoiler alert, this still continues until today. The requirement for specific designation of the use of all proceeds meant that every contract for purchase of equipment must be submitted and approved by the staff of the bank against certified bill of suppliers. We agreed to station a staff member in Paris to facilitate the necessary approvals and the system which we set up has been followed by the bank. France had originally applied for a loan of $500 million. The bank agreed to half that amount with the possibility of a second tranche. The relative amounts for each category in the overall requirements remained the same. The loan was signed on May 9th, 1947. With this loan, the bank committed more than a third of its loanable funds held on June 1st, 1947. In real terms, it is still the bank's largest single loan. With, If you look at 1997 with the inflation value, that would have been a loan of $2.6 billion. The bank's second annual report, 1946-47, assessed the circumstances surrounding the loan to France. And it said, the importance of France in the economic position of Europe made it particularly fitting that France should be the first country in whose reconstruction the bank should play an active part. France is vital to Western Europe because of her size and her productive capacity. And the problem of her recovery cannot be divorced from the recovery of Western Europe as a whole. The bank is fully aware of the uncertainties and difficulties facing France. Leaders of the French government themselves have stated that they realize that unless France's budgetary difficulties are overcome, the ensuing fiscal instability will endanger the entire reconstruction program. Some of the factors 
impeding recovery are beyond the control of France, but to the extent that France has been able to speed her own recovery, considerable success has been achieved. Her external debt record has been excellent. The bank believed that its loan will hasten the process of reconstruction and it will result in raising the level of France's productivity and that the risks involved are of the type which the bank was designed to accept. Then further reconstruction loans to the Netherlands, Denmark and Luxembourg followed, including the loan to France. The bank loaned almost $500 million to post-war reconstruction efforts. Although the bank's efforts were later upstaged by the Marshall Plan, they played an important part in the economic recovery of Western Europe. As part of the bank's 15th anniversary in 1961, Richard DeMuth looked back on the accomplishments of the World Bank in the pages of the bank's internal staff newsletter. He describes both the risk involved in the bank's first loan and the ultimate reward. In the winter of 1947, the prospects that Western Europe would achieve economic viability were bleak indeed. The financial requirements were immense and the countries of Western Europe had practically no foreign exchange reserves to help meet them. Indeed, a threat loomed large that the Western European economies would come to a standstill for want of dollars to keep essential food, fuel, and raw material imports flowing in. The bank's reconstruction loans were an emergency measure to meet this situation. It took a bit of stretching for the management to conclude that repayment prospects were reasonable. The economic report on France, for example, laid its stress not on financial resources or specific export prospects, but on French collective will to recover. The bank's gamble paid off handsomely. However, for it, one time necessary for the European recovery program, the Marshall Plan, to be formulated and put into effort with results that are now familiar history. With a good look of how the bank, World Bank started and just this first loan, because in the next episode we'll look at the structure of the World Bank and which countries are members and how they were able to get in. But in this first look at the World Bank, you can truly see that the aim of the World Bank was really to help this country's to recover and i'll take you back to the last statement that was made in this particular report and these were words that were by richard demuth and he said the economic report on france laid its stress not on financial resources or specific export prospects but on the french's collective will to recover. This is an important aspect to think about. The World Bank, when giving out this particular first loan, was not giving out instructions to France telling them, we need you to do specific exports so that you can actually be able to make dollars because that's how dollars are made by other countries. But they were able to gamble on the fact that France really wanted to recover. And any country, and we'll look at that in different episodes, every country that ever goes to the World Bank to try and 
borrow money is specifically doing it because they want to recover. However, as you will see in other episodes, this particular look at the country's will to recover is not necessarily the way the World Bank works right now. So first thing that I want you to do is make sure that you're subscribed to the channel. If you're watching the video podcast, please let me know if this is something that you want to be seeing over and over again. The Fearless Mula podcast is officially live. And if you're listening to the audio version of this podcast on any platform, whether Spotify or Apple podcast, please leave a review Follow us as well so that we can actually make this a number one money podcast in Africa. This has been your host. My name is Momo. I'm the host of the Fearless Moolah podcast. And I'll see you guys in episode number two.